everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Reading Party podcast. This week we're going over the 2004 movie Troy, which is probably known most famously because it stars Brad Pitt as Achilles. So what did you think of the movie? This is the what, the maybe 10th, 11th, 12th time I've seen it. You know, it, it never ceases to entertain me is what I'll say. It yeah, it's an entertaining watch. Uh, this is for me, I think, only the second time. Um, but it, it, I mean, it's a fun Hollywood blockbuster type movie. It's it's entertaining, definitely. It's it's doing its job and being entertaining, but historically accurate, not not so much. <laughs> not so much. But but it's funny because it's like there are some like tiny details that I feel like they did get right, which mm-hmm. is why I was like, oh. Okay, that's interesting. What bugs you the most then? I'll start with the the biggest part of all, which is when we introduce Sparta, essentially. My biggest problem is that you have the scene that says Port of Sparta, and then they cut right into essentially like the big feasting hall. And I was like, so that would lead one to believe that it's right next to the port. And I was like, but... Did they know that Githio was like the nearest port, but it's also like 40 miles away from Sparta? So it bothers me when it says like when you see water. Right. And then that kind of crops up again when Helen and Paris leave because it's like they just snuck out of the palace down to the port. It works for the narrative and because it's a movie, they don't want to like have two days horseback journey before they get to the port. But also it's a little bit, a little off. Also, Helen and Paris really, really annoy me really annoy me and the whole Paris continually through the movie he starts out being you must come with me and I will fight for you and then it's very I can't have people dying for me I'm like well honey you should have thought about that before you kidnapped the queen of Sparta whose brother is by well whose husband's brother is like the biggest warmonger in all of the Mediterranean maybe maybe consider that first I know you're like 12 but also have some goddamn self-awareness and then he gets the chance to fight and end it and he fucking runs away and then and then it's all oh pity me everybody thinks i'm a coward and i just gave up my pride and helen's like oh it's okay honey it's okay i'm like no it's not okay goodness sorry well well that no there was that great line where she was like i no i just i don't want a hero i just want someone i can grow old with i'm like okay in the history of all greek mythology and just greek culture 
when did a woman not want like a strong man who would be there to like defend her honor and fight for her like no one was like oh i'm in it to like live a long time and you know be like you know 60 70 they're all like no we want glory so so i don't know i was like that line was so out of place well, I do want to mention, because there's going to be a lot of things that we find are not accurate and bad. So I do want to also say there are some good things in, in this film. And, and one of them is that uh, I love the relationship between Odysseus and Achilles. Because they did get that right. Because Odysseus was sort of the Achilles whisperer. And they had such a playful, sort of bantery relationship. Starting when you knew it was love, when he threw a spear at his head. I mean, there's a tree in front. But, like, it was still... Right. <laughs> And Odysseus is just like, it's Achilles, it's a Tuesday, we're fine, we'll just keep going. And and I mean, really, any movie that involves Sean Bean is okay in my book. Did you notice that he has such a long history of every character he plays dies, and yet he's the only high-ranking Greek official to survive at the end? Who makes it, yeah. I was like, all his friends do instead. This is like his one glorious moment where he doesn't die horribly. Yeah. Although that's that's one of my biggest complaints. Okay, not only are my complaints that a bunch of people die who don't die. I mean, Menelaus doesn't die. Agamemnon doesn't die. I mean, they do die, but like later. <laughs> not here in Troy. But like, okay, so they die. And okay, so yes, then... You have Patroclus and Achilles and Hector dying, which is true. But then I think I, I was annoyed by the lack of, like, central characters that are in the poem. Yeah. Like, I put here right on my notes and I, like, highlighted and under underlined it. I was like, there's no Diomedes, there's no Penthesilea or any Amazons. There's no, like, duel with Sarpedon. There's no Cassandra. There's not even Jocasta. Isn't it weird how it's like we have all these King Priam scenes? It's Helen. Like, Helen is the only woman, and, and like, Andromache, but it's, it's, it's all Helen. And she's really annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know I keep, like, bringing this up, but they're so frustrating. And then Helen tries to sneak out the night before Paris's big duel that he goes so badly. And, and, and Hector's like, you can't go. It's going to do fuck all. And she's like, oh. Didn't didn't think of that at all. Yeah. Well, well also, I, I highlighted that scene in my notes, and I was just like, why is this scene here? Because never in the poem is she ever, like, suddenly, like, conscience grips her, and she's like, I'm just gonna run away and not tell anybody and go back down the ships. Bye! So I'm like, why is that? Why is this a scene here? I don't know if they were trying to make Helen more sympathetic or more, like, I feel like in the poem, she's she's pretty passive. She is. I don't know if they were trying to give her a little bit more, like, agency, substance. I mean, in the poem, she's just this beautiful woman who kind of gets passed around to the most deserving king, I guess, which doesn't necessarily play terribly well with modern audiences. But that does kind of relate to my biggest, not problem, just the thing I noticed the most about the entire film is there's no gods. And I know this is very obvious and it's something that i suspect gets brought up a lot when you have classicists and historians like looking to this at this film but there are no gods i mean yes you see achilles mom but like she's an older woman and it's not terribly explicit that she is divine and then you have all of the statues of apollo throughout troy and at the um at the temple and and i know i do understand that it's really difficult when you're doing 
visual depictions and like movie representations of ancient myth like how do you get the gods in there without it being super cheesy but and it was clearly a conscious decision by the director but i feel like you kind of with troy you lose a lot of the impetus for most of the action because the whole thing starts because of the gods and then it's kind of continued because of the gods because they say that this should be happening and i think they did a very good job with agamemnon especially in like the very opening scenes where he's like ha 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 you will all fight in my army and i am bigger than you and stronger than you and also have you met achilles he will he'll just kill you i feel like they had to make him kind of the the whole driving force behind so Helen was the catalyst to start the war, but then Agamemnon was the reason it continued. Which, and I, I do think it worked well. I think it was believable. He's a very unsympathetic character. Like, terribly, terribly unnice. Unnice? Unnice is not a word. He's not a good person. Or even like remotely, like I can't find any redeeming qualities. So that works in the whole motive. Like there's motive there, but it, I know I'd have liked a god or two just just wandering around maybe I I think I it would have been hard to do all the interferences by the gods I mean and then you know when you have some accounts saying you know well the gods were in physical human form fighting with the Greeks and the Trojans like I understand that would be hard but I think the one place for me where it would have benefited is the duel between Menelaus and Paris only because the fact that they make him already sort of like simpering weakling and then on top of it, because in in the poem, he is not, he doesn't just like run away to Hector and that's it. Like, you know, they're fighting and you know how like Aphrodite like swoops down and basically carries him from the battlefield to his bed. And that's what like ends the duel. And so, I mean, I guess for the film it wouldn't have worked narratively if they're like no we need Menelaus to die and we need to give you know uh, have a reason like why why would he be dead you know we can't have him just killed by an arrow so you're like oh okay that's fine but it just like it makes an already kind of weakling you know that you already despise even worse when he's like I'm gonna go hide behind my bro's legs and then Blasphemy has to run back to get the sword of Troy I was kind of waiting for that to be taken by Agamemnon as long as a Trojan holds it, the walls will hold. And then Agamemnon gets it and you're like, well, shit. And it didn't happen. I was a little disappointed. I was too. But also I'm like, LOL, there's no sort of Troy in the real ones. I'm like, oh, what is this invention? Like, why put this in for anything other than I, I guess? But it's interesting to me because it was it plays into kind of a larger theme, which is like the fact that they don't loot the armor from the defeated foes so i'm like because in the poem you know it's such a big deal that every time you defeat someone you strip yourself. like when hector kills patroclus he takes achilles armor so kids it's like yo i don't have my armor it spoils war and i'm just like no there, there, there's none of that there's just oh okay now it's funny watching watching movies like this as someone who has had some training in classics because when I was halfway through my undergraduate degree I couldn't watch things like this because it made me so frustrated like this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and what are you doing and it's all ridiculous and that's not how the story happens and then I took a class on like ancient history and popular media and the professor was awesome and the first lecture we had was centered around don't look at it as accurate or inaccurate or wrong or correct look at it as 
what are they taking from the ancient world and using and why are they doing that? I mean, I still get frustrated because it's wrong. But also like, some of it is just like the God thing, looking at why they don't use it. Like, is it a cinematic choice? Is it because that wouldn't play well with modern audiences because we have such different conceptions of deity and the divine? And Or is it just like he didn't feel like doing it, it would be too complicated. And I suppose that's a cinematic reason. Anyway, yeah, I now am able to watch ancient history movies without getting apoplectic with rage. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still learning that it's getting there. There's some that are better than others, you know, some that are like his, like clearly historical and wrong, but if they're not like my wheelhouse, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take it for what it is. It's, it's a lot easier to kind of go with if, if you don't, if you haven't studied it, like Egyptian history, I know enough, like I can hang together the, the major events, but like, I don't know much about ancient Egyptian culture and the specifics aren't really something that would necessarily trip me up. So if I'm watching a movie or a TV show or something that has ancient Egyptian like, plot lines, I just kind of sit back and enjoy myself because it doesn't, like I, it doesn't trigger me. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I do that too. I mean, okay, my favorite example is the Gods of Egypt movie, that horrible one where they cast like no ethnically appropriate actors. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, this is so not anything close to reality at all. But you know what? I was like, I'm not an Egyptologist, so I will let it go. But but another thing that, that I, I thought was kind of funny, though, for like for this specific one, did you notice how they use the chariots all throughout the movie? No, I didn't. Okay, so the chariots, like, for the most part, they, like, use them as ancient ubers basically right so you get in them and it takes you to where you go <laughs> point a to point b yeah. exactly and then they like they get off they get down and then they do their thing and they leave and so historically i'm like yes because chariots really were ancient ubers they would take you a to b and then you get down and then you do whatever and you you know whatever so i liked how they were correct in that except then when you get to that first big battle scene mm -hmm. after the end of the duel when they sort of charge they use the chariots to charge toward the wall into battle. And then I'm like, no, you don't. You, I'm like, ugh. I was like, you, yes, eventually the Greeks, not in the eighth century. I'm like, oh my gosh, guys. I'm like, this is, this is a couple centuries too early. So I was like, this is definitely one of those where I was happy that it sort of did portray its intended like correct use, but then... They took some liberty and I'm like, okay, well, that would be a little hard to explain. Why you, why did you have like six chariots and then why not charge in? So, but I was still just like, yeah, but they're just ancient Ubers. Okay. They're not ancient Uber and then Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty fun. It's interesting because they don't really try to allude to a lot of like historically correct ancient themes either. But I think one they did really well was that line where... Menelaus when he confronts Paris at the beginning and then he has that line about what kind of man like betray violates another's hospitality and I was like oh my gosh they don't want to like say it but it's like a thing guys it's one of the biggest themes in like all of Greek mythology which is either the violation of or extending like philoxenia so I was like oh, well you didn't say it but you sort of alluded to it but we know what you mean exactly so I was just like, oh, that's that must be like 
a, a little Easter egg for classicists because it's like, if you're not a classicist, you can still understand the violation of hospitality by, you know, stealing someone's wife after, you know, <laughs> taking their stuff. But then as a classicist, you're like, yes. Oh my God, they did. They slipped like Philoxenia and how like he made a bigger deal out of violating hospitality than anything else. And I'm like, yes. And that's mm -hmm. completely accurate because that's what they would have actually been mad about. That's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, that and then the whole yeah briseis thing so you know stealing you know spoils of war also is a violation of like some kind of philoxenia so i was like no good job good job you you did good i don't know i feel like i had so many stray thoughts watching this also because i don't know i, I feel like a bit uh responsible for analyzing this movie maybe maybe wrongly but only because uh brad pitt went to my school so did he? He did. He's the oh. most famous alum of University of Missouri to never graduate. Oh, no. <laughs> Mind you, I suppose if you're Brad Pitt, you don't necessarily need to have graduated from college. It was so fun. Yeah, no. And, and then, well, another fun fact is that my first, my freshman year, I met a girl who lived in my dorm. Her aunt was in the same class as Brad Pitt, and she said that her aunt went on a pity date with him their freshman year when he was like ugly and i was like no that's hilarious so that's hilarious the classics department definitely always talks about oh yeah brad pitt went to our school and then he played it yeah and then he played achilles so ha 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 we need to like you know be the most critical. please give us more money to fund our students <laughs> exactly so i don't know so, so you know we watch this and talk about it a lot so beyond just reviewing it I always have a lot of thoughts, like really stray random ones. Also, when you were talking about the Temple of Apollo, did you notice they had Egyptian pharaohs? And I was like, what is this doing here? I think of a, a lot of the times when they do like ancient inspired movies, they just kind of, the set designers are like, okay, this looks old and this looks old and this looks old. So we'll just like mush them all together to make a generically old thing. And no one's really going to notice or tell the difference anyway. So we'll do that. When they're clearly like, this is a temple to Apollo. And they make a big deal about it's Apollo's beach. And he desecrated the statue of Apollo. And then I'm just like, LOL, random pharaoh. Okay, cool. Great. Like, keep going. <laughs> it's clearly a gift from, like, the pharaohs during the Amana period. They sent it to Priam and he just put it in his temple. And it's very plausible and legitimate. I I suppose. Also, did it bother you how, like, they pronounce half the names wrong? So, no, because I don't have enough experience with that side of things. I Like, I've never taken ancient Greek. A lot of my, like, classical education is, well, a long time ago. For starters, it was high school and then my undergraduate. So it was, like, 15 years ago at this point. But I will definitely bow to your superior knowledge on the pronunciation issues. I should just say, if you're trying to adhere to the, like, original Greek, it's kind of like a mix where it, it could hew closer based on the spelling. Where So, like, when Helen is like, Menelaus's, you know, and not Menelaus, you know, then it's kind of like, okay, well, if you look at how the ancient Greek is spelled, you know, if you're going to go for marketing to people who really don't know you know the characters and the names you should go with the ones that are like universally kind of understood because then if you just say something like really weird i feel like you'd be like i i think i know who that is so i don't know so, sometimes i mean i get and and sometimes i think maybe it was just the actor's own accents that 
might have contributed to how they would pronounce a name. Because Helen was over here saying, Paris, Paris. And I'm just like, um, but it's Paris. But okay, sure. But she, but you know, so I'm like, maybe that's just her like German accent. I mean, love you, Diane Kruger, but also like, Paris. <laughs> I was so annoyed. Ugh. I think it would have been a better movie just without Helen and Paris. Just have Agamemnon crossing the seas to wreak havoc on Troy because he feels like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That reminds me. Did you, did, did you, so for the funeral scenes, did you notice the, like, anachronistic elements in, in the, mm -mm. okay. Go for it. The, the, the coins, you know, that they put on the eyes. Oh yeah, the coins on the eyes, yeah. Well, I mean, for one, that was not a thing because you would, instead of two coins over each eye, it was one coin for the ferryman and you'd put it in their mouth, like, you literally put it, like, like in their mouth and also though not only was the placement of the coin if you wanted to include the coin wrong coins were not invented yet every time i see this i'm like well one the placement is wrong i could forgive you but i'm like but 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 coins literally came after i'm like guys this is like the eighth century coinage was not a thing <laughs> i feel like that's another kind of generically ancient thing that is floating around in the cultural milieu and they're like okay well we have to have coins to pay the ferryman because everyone knows you have coins to pay the ferryman like mm, no not yet but i was like but yeah not yeah i was like yeah i was like just set it in a different time period then <laughs> so i was like oh okay well that's so nice that so so yeah the the coins annoy me a lot just because they didn't exist and anyone who did an inkling of research should have known See, I'm not sure that there was an awful, well, mm, I was going to say I'm not sure there was an awful lot of research. There was clearly, like, research, but I don't, like, I, I keep saying, I don't think it was limited to a particular time. I think it was a general ancient Greek feel, kind of like window dressing. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. But don't they put a date at, like, the very beginning? They do. They do. Which was a poor choice. They're like, Thessaly, and then date. So I was like, oh, okay, so you're clearly setting it. But but I guess it just annoys me because the level of detail that they do put into some of the stuff that is right, like, for the most part, I mean, I'm not an expert. Let me just go on record and say I'm not an expert in ancient warfare at, at all. That's not my thing. But from what I do remember learning about it is, yeah, they were they were right in the movie where no soldier had the same shield because they always they would have their own family or whatever like symbols and so so like all their armor sets should be different which for the most part they were and i'm like yeah that's all very good and accurate and i'm like okay well you need to do research to to, to know that because it would be easy to just kind of copy and paste the same you know military uniform now some of the uniforms are a little too much of the same like all the myrmidons had the same sort of black armor and i was like well they wouldn't have really had that and so but you know so that's another instance where i was like seeing a mix of like oh they do pay attention enough that all the shields were different but then you have the matchy sort of breastplate and and you know greaves and whatever and i'm like okay that breaks that breaks it a little bit but you know, for the most part, like, that's a small level of detail. So I, that's why I get confused when I see that and I'm like, okay, so you clearly did your research. So I did, I did find it, talking about costumes, I did find it interesting that they made the choice to have, like, almost all of the Trojan royal family in blue. Blue everywhere, lots of silver jewellery, and it looked like, 
it felt weirdly orientalizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. I think the costumes were gorgeous. But it, yeah, I, I don't know if it was a, we're making these men look effeminate, especially in like Paris being this like weak ladies man type thing so we want that to be carried on through the rest of the trojans or if it was just a we need them visually distinct from the greeks who are like always in their damn armor so let's have the trojans in super bright colors and wearing lots of jewelry and yeah that was that was interesting it was i mean it 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 suited paris i would think but but let me just be honest eric banna rocking that armor i was like hello <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> i was like i'm okay with this this is a good choice he was easily like the most likable character yeah honorable wanting to protect his family and his homeland and like, and you can tell he wants to just smack paris he's not going to because he's his brother and he's going to protect helen but also you two are goddamn idiots why did you do this and then he has he obviously dies horribly and i mean he's he's one of the really tragic figures of the poem i think and i like they they carried that forward really very well and, and it definitely doesn't hurt that eric banner is is very easy on the eyes oh yes oh yes you know i just want to stare at him whenever he's on screen he's just magnetic but also i'm kind of like but but him being like hector live he could just escape what the thing is the thing is because of like the character he is i don't think he'd have done the escaping thing he'd have stayed behind to like cover everyone's retreats and then been killed tragically anyway that's true that's true I mean, okay, well, with the escape, the fact that he pulled some random, that Paris pulled some random boy and was like, what's your name? And he's like, Aeneas. And he's just like, oh, okay, here's the Sword of Troy. Go forth and save. Bye. I mean, we talk about all these main characters dying. So people who might have read, like, the Iliad or be familiar with the original might know, okay, it's inaccurate that all these people die. But but I, I also wanted to point out, I found it quite interesting that for non-classicists, it's still popular enough that, that some people will, will be familiar. But, you know, when we think of Trojan women in Euripides, clearly all the women of Troy go back to Greece and have all these very different fates. And it's, it's quite famous what happens to them. So I found it interesting that Andromache and Helen and his and Hector's son Astyanax who famously doesn't get thrown off the turrets but like survives and is carried out through the secret tunnel which also no what there was no secret tunnel in the I'm sorry do you remember them being like there's a secret tunnel for everyone to get out I mean the only description of people like fleeing the city and not even through a tunnel just freaking fleeing is the Aeneid so I'm like this was quite an interesting choice to be like, oh, yes, we have a secret passageway. And all these famous women who are captured and have these different fates, no, they get out through the secret tunnel. They have to make it a happy ending somehow, though. But is it really happy? <laughs> like, they, lo- they lose their home and, you know, their their position. And Paris living bothers the shit out of me. Yeah. I just Out of all of the male characters in that whole movie i mean i my dislike of paris is well documented by this stage but he should have like not been alive afterwards i mean it also bothers me because i mean obviously as we've established now the, the record on characters living and dying is not great a little bit blurry but like in okay to be fair it's not actually in the iliad but we do know mm-hmm. other like stories and sources that 
Philocrates kills Paris basically after he kills Achilles. So I'm kind of like, so you killed all these people and then you didn't show that, like, Paris is actually killed? And that would have been, like, weirdly poetic justice in the movie. Like, he kills Achilles and then some... It could even just be, like, a random soldier throws a spear and Paris is down here like, well, maybe don't steal other people. I mean, and again, he didn't steal her, but, like... But it's but I'm like, what message is this sending when like so you kidnap you or you just bring along another man's wife and then you kill her like first husband and then you're rewarded because you get to live and like escape with her like what kind of messed up romance is this? I'm sorry, but that and I guess at the heart of it that is my overriding problem with this movie. Historical inaccuracies, you know, we can live with those. It's artistic license, sure. They've taken the Iliad and they've made it in, or they've tried to make it into a love story. And they tried to make it into two love stories because then you have Briseis and Achilles as well. And it's just, it's not, it's not terribly well done because Paris and Helen are so unsympathetic as characters. Like, I don't think anyone likes them. And I feel if you have to have a successful love story, you kind of have to be rooting at the heart. You've got to be rooting for this couple to actually succeed. And throughout the whole of it, I'm like, you two should not be together. I mean, like, aside from the whole misogyny, patriarchal bullshit of women being used as political pawns, okay, I think we can accept, all of us, that that is not a good thing, and it is not something we wish to see replicated, but it's how things were. But I never really felt like it was actually... Like, it, it just didn't feel right. They didn't feel like, like they were actually in love. It felt like this performative, like, I've been at your husband's house for four days and you're super sexy, so we're going to have sex and then then maybe you should come home with me. And then later Paris is like, Father, I love her like you love every single blade of grass in Troy and every stone in the river. And I'm like, bitch, you've known her two damn weeks. I am all for love at first sight, theoretically, but it doesn't happen like that. That kind of deep-rooted emotion doesn't just magically spring up because she's pretty. It just, it just, they came across like, like love struck 14 year olds. And I'm like, this is not, this is not worth fighting a whole war over. And if, the, if you have the gods like manipulating the whole thing, it makes a lot more sense because sure, sure, he's been given this woman and the gods have decreed that, that she's his now and okay, it's bullshit, but like, it's more convincing and more compelling than those two actually being in love and that love being worth a 10-year war. It's just, it's not a love story and it doesn't, it doesn't track as one. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit of a rant, wasn't it? <laughs> I love your rants because they're always so spot on and hilarious. And and then you have Briseis falling in love with Achilles, and I'm like, he's killing literally your entire country. And he's doing it because he wants to be famous. I just... And yes, the immortality of one's name was, was a, a big thing in the ancient world. Sure, we've got Gilgamesh, we've got people writing about it for millennia. But, I mean, is that really a good enough reason to forgive him for killing everyone, especially your beloved cousin, and then falling in love with him? Again, 14-year-old Starcross lovers vibe. And it, it, yeah, maybe I'm just not the target audience. I feel like this plays a lot better when you're maybe not 34 with several children and you've kind of seen a bit of the world. <laughs> like, if I was in high school, if I was in high school, this would feel much more plausible. 
be like, of course, you love this person. You are going to like follow them across the ocean. And I have to say as someone who has followed a partner across the ocean, it's not an awful, like, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not, that's not how it works. I'm, I'm very sorry, but no, absolutely not. I mean, to be fair, I basically was a high schooler when I first saw it. Let's see, it came out in like 04. Yeah, it came, this, this movie came out in 04, and I was in high school. I might have seen it before, but either way, I was of high school age because I was in high school from like 2013 to, or 20, wow, 2009 to 2013. So I was perfectly in the wheelhouse. When did I leave high school? It's a good question. Yeah, great question. How old am I? I think I said 34. I think I'm 36. I don't know anymore. <laughs> what is time? What is age? It's, it's imaginary. <laughs> time is a construct, though. Yeah, so I left school in 2004. So actually, I was 18 when this came out. Oh, okay. See, so, well, so, right. Well, I'm 26, almost 27. But still, I'm like, okay, I would have been in the target age range, mm -hmm. probably. Nah, it still didn't play as a better love story. I'm still just like, these guys are fucking annoying, and I hate them. And I was like, this is wrong. And it was like, honestly, the best love story in the whole movie was Hector and Andromache, and they got, what, two seconds of screen time? Yeah, they were lovely. And Hector made his son that little lion figure, and I was like, that looks like the lion from the gates of Hatusha. And I don't know if it's supposed to be, but it's super cool, and I love it. And yeah, that, see, that's a compelling love story right there. I'd have watched the fuck out of that movie if it was Hector and Andromache. I, that's the movie I want to see, guys. Uh, someone in Hollywood, please uh, make that one. The Iliad from, like, their perspective, maybe with, like, some how they met, and yeah, that would be... That'd be nice. That would be much, much better. I, yes. Also, the fact that they, but they misnamed his son. Did, did you even pick up what the hell his name was? Because there's that one. No, I didn't. I remember thinking that's, I don't think that's right, but I don't remember. No, because like, there's the one scene where he comes. Oh yeah, it's he comes back from Sparta at the beginning of the, uh, of the movie and she's like all there and pretty and like here's your son and he's like ah oh, my son and so so i don't know actually what his this kid's name is but from what i picked up just from listening really hard it sounded like he said scrown he's like scrown <laughs> it's a good solid trojan name right there and i was like did he just say scrown this kid has a documented name okay it's a Styanax, and you know he famously gets you know thrown off the walls of troy when they lose but i just yeah that one i'm kind of like come on you, you, you at least got the names of most everyone else right why did you not get his son's name correct i just i don't I like Scrown though. I think I'm going to if I if I ha I'm not having another child, but if I do, we're naming them Scrown. You you could get a a, a cat or a dog and name it Scrown. <laughs> Scrown. That's a good name for a dog. Actually, that's a good yelling name. <laughs> Scrown. Heel. Sit. Bad dog Scrown. Yeah, it's not the name of a of a Trojan prince though. No, I was like, but it his name is Estianax, and I'm like, mm. okay. So yes, that just makes me <clears throat> just. Also, going back to the pronunciation thing, I think American classicists and British classicists pronounce some names differently because hearing American classicists talk occasionally, I'm like, is that 
is that how you pronounce that? And I assume yes, because, you know, they would know. But also it's definitely not the pronunciation that I remember from college. So sometimes I'm not sure if it's a cultural classicist difference or if it's someone actually mispronouncing a word. No, I've 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 learned, especially after I started podcasting, I've I've learned that there is quite a difference, not only in like pronunciation, but also in spellings. So fun fact, when I spell archaeology, I always spell it with the A because I'm like, that's how you spell it. You know, it's like archaeology. Apparently, I saw a bunch of people spelling it archaeology just with the E, no A. And I was like, what is this word? Who would spell it this way? So I looked it up one day and they were like, oh, that's how American archaeologists spell the name of their field. It's just archaeology. And I'm like, no, wait, what? Incorrect. Excuse me? This is like disgusting. (laughs) Absolutely not okay. Do not approve. So no, 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 absolutely just no. If you if you spell it archaeology, I'm going to give you a very, very dirty look, a very dirty look, and then proceed to just sort of go, uh-huh, sure. And then, you know, <laughs> take everything you say with a grain of salt. So, but that, but that, wait, that got me so curious. So wait, like what's, what is like a name that is pronounced differently? See, now I can't actually give you an example because my brain has decided that we're not we're not playing that game today. I'll try and find some though in the next episode I'll be like, so these words are very different in in British classicist language and American classicist language and it'll make more sense. But Oh, okay. Perfect. Well, I'm sure everyone will be very excited to know how differently yeah. we pronounce things. I've been listening to mm-hmm. Natalie Haynes' that A Thousand Ships audiobook because I love it and it's like the best audiobook I have. And she says Calliope and that's not how we would pronounce it in the states how would you say calliope oh <laughs> yeah there there's one no, that's that's weird yes yeah <laughs> yeah. Calliope. yeah yeah so we would always say calliope and mm-hmm. i'm always like i mean i guess i heard it enough that it's not like as i mean it's it's different but to me it's not like weird it's odd but it's not like but but i guess yeah for you you're probably like what is that sounds like some weird like plan i just assume i'm remembering something incorrectly (laughs) it's just me being forgetful and sometimes it's it's actually not it's just pronounced differently yeah i'm sure there's more you know but i guess oh okay so one thing i did want to mention is so the timeline of the whole movie i know they have to move fast and they want the biggest entertainment value but the timeline so so the fact that we kind of start with agamemnon vaguely unifying as much of mainland greece as he could which i find laughable because i'm like lol when was mainland greece ever a unified anything uh never so the fact that he was like the boot like like the uh, the apeans and the whatever they all fight for me i'm like no because Greece, I even in like the opening, like little you know, subtitled whatever, um, it's like they're they're, they're almost a unified Greek state. Agamemnon just needs to like conquer Thessaly, and I was like, Greece was never a unified Greek state, so that annoyed me. But then, so it starts there, so it clearly starts before, and then you have the whole Helen goes, and then you know they get angry. And so then they skip over the sacrifice of Iphigenia, which I think is like, but that's so central and it is. But again, it's it 
is a requirement of the gods. So if you don't have the gods, you don't have that requirement. And I suspect a Hollywood movie can't really show the sacrifice of a child. True. I mean, they could have aged her up, but yeah, true. <laughs> Human sacrifice, though, generally. I mean, Indiana Jones did it, I guess, but that was very much a, especially because because the people who in indiana jones the people who did the human sacrifice were the baddies so you mm. can't have purportedly goodies i mean again agamemnon is total dick throughout the whole thing but he's like i think human sacrifice would probably be a bridge too far well even if they didn't show it i feel like they could have alluded to it and he's such an unlikable prick that i feel like he could have just been like and you don't even you could you could you could honestly have said you could have like avoided the whole it's a requirement by the gods you could have just been he could have just you could have made him like a dickweed who was like i wanted a fair wind so instead of sacrificing cattle i uh, sacrificed my daughter and, and like you could have had him just say it and, like mention that it happened right yeah that's true and that would have been like a good compounding of how unpleasant he is because he clearly has no regard for human life probably has no regard for women generally speaking I mean, obviously doesn't, given how he treats Briseis, but, uh, yeah, that would have been, that would have worked. I mean, because cause clearly they wanted to make him a character, you know, like, I don't know. Because if you're going to kill him at the end, and you really want people to root for it, I guess he was so unlikable anyway that, yeah, okay, I probably would have been like, yeah, he's dead, woo! But, like, if they'd really wanted me to, like, hate him, then, you know, have him, like, sacrifice his daughter. So I found that quite interesting. And then, yeah, you have the whole ending of the movie, which isn't even in the poem at all. But you still have the Trojan horse, and you're like, okay. Because, like, the poem ends basically after, like, the funeral games of Patroclus. So I'm like, okay, sure. Again, though, I think that's a, a public perception because everyone, like, the thing everyone knows about Troy is the Trojan horse. And I suspect having a movie called Troy and no horse would upset some people. It would upset some people, but it would be a great way in sort of, like, dispelling, like, gross misconceptions. Like, because this would have been their chance, right? Where you're like, it is a Trojan war, but, like, we do want to let you know, like, it can be entertaining. Because I guess the the if I were to, like, recap what on earth this poem is if i were to watch the movie i'd be like at its core the iliad is a romance about you know someone who just like two really annoying teenagers <laughs> exactly who were star-crossed lovers and so and and then it was also a pseudo romance of a captured priestess slave and and her or like like owner uh, yeah, I don't even know what I would say. Which doesn't make it sound well. It makes it sound like what it is. Yeah. So like, so if I just, so if I just watched the movie and knew nothing about, it, I would be like, yeah, no, the 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 Iliad is all it's 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 a couple romances and some fighting. And if you're a classicist, you'd sit here and basically say the entire book is literally a tiff between two man children and it's <laughs> one pouting and one being like, no, I don't want to do this because you've insulted me and you violated my fellow Xenia, my guest friendship, my hospitality, and my presence. So, you know, I'm like, ugh. Like, so the whole poem is basically about their feud. It's, there's, there's like, not really a romance. I mean, they just kind of were like, well, this is the pretext for the war, whatever. But, like, 
So I just find it really interesting how the, the entire marketing and, and the popular perception we have is helped along by these things that are propagating these things that are very, very wrong. Incorrect. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, hey, if you wanted to market a movie to me, that, like almost demigod fighter who cannot be killed except for like a little arrow through his heel. And then the other man baby is like just happens to be the king of one of the most powerful, like ancient Mycenaean city states. And, you know, he can like control the lives of like thousands of people. Ha ha ha. Let's see what happens. I would be I would watch it. I would watch that. Like, I literally would. I'd be like, I want to see man babies. Troy, the man baby edition. Not only is like the timeline compounded and then the marketing is off, but then they just talk about the Greeks and the Trojans being two different things, but then they never really go into, but where really is Troy? Like what ethnicity are, like, were they all kind of Greeks just like from different parts or like are one like completely foreigners because they're city states, you know? So I was kind of like, there's nothing really that tells us anything other than, okay. And then, yeah, along with that, like, orientalizing thing that they did to Troy. I think it's really funny. I don't know if you had this thought, but the whole time they were showing shots and scenes within Troy, I just I kept thinking to myself, this looks like Babylon. Yeah, yeah. The walls, I was like, hmm, interesting. And then the palaces, I was like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. Not even that, but there's a shit ton of gardens and gardens and reflecting pools like the only thing they got right in that entire city was like the archaic statue of apollo and he's like the only one that jumped out at me actually it didn't like it didn't seem to fit with the rest of the the scenery yeah same with sparta the the i mean you don't get a good look at them because they're kind of in the background but like in the scenes of the feasting hall when menelaus is like toasting the guests the artwork behind him looked very assyrian to me and it was like why are the why is there assyrian art in sparta i'm sorry i'm very confused show their barbaric nature clearly the spartans have rejected all the gods they're going like assyrian warmongering directions and priam is like the most pious man in the whole history of ever so they have god statues everywhere yeah that i mean that tracks prime was always described as being quite devout so i was like oh okay yeah i don't know it's interesting i'm priam definitely dies i i don't i don't remember at this very moment but i feel like i i, I think i have these vague memories of like i think he like commits suicide when he locks himself in the inner rooms of the palace and he was just like Oh no, my city is burning. He's like a the captain of his ship where he's just like where he's just like, okay, well, Troy is burning and no one's really getting out, or if they are, they're getting out on their own time. So I'm gonna lock myself in the room and um bye. So I felt that that was quite quite interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess the the, the only other really big point the, the rest is just like smaller classes details that only classes would probably really care about or notice that stood out though was Nestor. Nestor is like another king, but I found it really interesting that they never clarify who he is or whatever other than, but like they have him become like a, an advisor to Agamemnon. And I'm like, I mean, yes, they kind of advise, but strategized as equals kind mm -hmm. of. As, right, as equals, not as subordinates. But you just have this old man with a white beard just being like, yes, my king, if you do this, you do this. If you don't want this, you do this. Like, I was like, so you made, they just, they made him seem like a, like a servant. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but Nestor actually plays a really important role in the original source material. So I was like, you didn't want to just, you know, maintain that? You know, I, I have questions. I mean, you know, I, I guess it's not a big deal. But, you know, by the time they're like camped on the beach of Troy and in his, what was it, ship tent, tent ship? I was like, ship tent? What is this? No one else has this. Isn't this wildly impractical? I was like, okay then. Okay. We're just not, we're not questioning it. We're just ship tent. It's a thing it, now. It's a, it's a thing. My, his ship tent. Yeah. So, you know, and then you definitely, he just, I don't know. He just, the Trojans are literally trying to burn the ships down by like shooting fire arrows at it. And I'm like, but your treasure would burn if it was really kept there. But you keep it here anyway. You're sitting on the most flammable thing you could be with all of your precious objects piled next to you. Yeah. Maybe not not the best not the best plan. Yeah. I'm not a military strategist, but you know. Yeah. Strikes me as, as less than wise. Yes. Also, I guess the last note I'd made on my paper because I'd like underlined it like four times was the I just I just wrote L O L O L Patroclus, my cousin. Yeah, he was Yeah. I mean uninspiring generally, but also Hmm. I, I just, I felt like that was the movie's version of, and they were roommates. <laughs> yes, they were just really good friends. Really good friends. Yeah. They were best friends, inseparable friends, who happened to sort of maybe not. Yes, yes. So we've been criticizing it basically for an hour, but is there anything nice you do want to actually compliment about this before people think that we actually just hate it? Which I don't, I don't. I want to be very clear. No, I mean, I think I think it's a good, like, solid sword and sandal epic type thing. It's very well shot. I enjoyed the costumes, historical inaccuracies aside. I think Brad Pitt did an excellent job as Achilles. I think he gets that whole ruthless warrior really the only thing I'm here for is to make a name for myself thing very nicely. I feel like Agamemnon, I can't remember the actor's name who played Agamemnon. He was fantastic. Oh, Brian. Yeah, Brian Cox. Yes, he did a, again, beautiful job. Very, very believable, very unlikable. And like, again, perfect as the, like the driving force behind the whole war when you don't have the gods present. No, I, like, I enjoy it. It's a fun movie. It's not is it like my all-time favorite? No, but I enjoyed myself. It's definitely one I will watch again. How about you? Yeah, I think the one thing that stood out to me the whole way is for the most part other than... But see, that's the thing. I, I hated their characters is for Paris and Helen. But the thing is, I think the movie was brilliantly casted because they did the intended job, which is, yes. you know, I don't think I would want a... I don't think you're supposed to like them. Right. And I was like, I don't think, because if you cast someone who was more handsome or better, like whatever, as Paris, then maybe I don't hate him because I'm like, oh no, he's just too good looking. So I love him. You know, so Orlando Bloom just tapped into that like pouty, you know, young little princeling who's kind of a weakling. And, you know, so he makes you hate him and Helen being unlikable as well. So they do a great job of making you not like them. I always maintain that, yes, Brian Cox as Agamemnon is, like, the best casting choice that 
could have been done. I loved Brendan Gleeson as Menelaus because I think that also is – I love their dynamic, those two actors. So I was like, oh, they, they were believable brothers. And I would say the other standout for me, other than Sean Bean as Odysseus, is – um oh, oh, what's his name? As uh, Priam. Oh, my God. He's such a famous actor. He's so famous. What what the hell is his name? Peter O'Toole. Thank you. Thank you. Very famous British actor. I'm so... So I loved him because I, I specifically highlighted the scene in the tent where he goes to beg Achilles for Hector's mm-hmm. body. And I just remember thinking, this is a fantastic scene. I mean, he really captures that like fatherly, like, this is my son. You are my mm-hmm. enemy, but we can show respect. And he's like the picture of like calm and you know sage kind of old man and i was like oh man this is fantastic so he he would be my standout but yeah no it was just it was fantastically cast and i really appreciate that the actors gave it their all and so clearly fit their roles and honestly i would have i i would have loved to see this cast honestly in other adaptations because i remember thinking like when i watched the Mm -hmm. new netflix miniseries troy the actors were fine i liked them but i would have taken the cast from this one and put it maybe into that one mm-hmm. i want a sean bean odyssey oh i do too can we have that next please i want somebody <sighs> yeah, that would be nice somebody make that, that would be nice somebody make that on that hopeful note i think that's probably all we have time for today but audience if you think we are being unfair to this movie you should definitely let us know and also if you enjoyed helen and paris i mean a what's wrong with you sorry that was rude but like why did you like them what is it that we're missing leave us a note if you plan on joining us next week we are going to be discussing the first two episodes of the netflix miniseries troy fall of a city and if you've enjoyed this maybe consider leaving us a positive review because that really helps the podcast reach other people Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.